You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spate. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, New Hope. How many of you had a toy like this when you were growing up? Good old jack-in-the-box. You know, I went out to find one and bring it and uh, play it for you here. You cannot find them anymore because they petrify our children. I went online to find uh, YouTube videos, and the only thing I could find were the YouTube videos horribly gone wrong when they play it for the child, and the child would just shriek. The interesting thing about this toy is it does the very same thing every time you play it. You turn the crank, it plays the little song, and at the point that you reach the key in the song, a trigger flips and Jack pops out of the box and you're surprised. You know what's coming, and yet every single time, you're surprised. That's kind of the way the resurrection took place as well. In fact, Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, were telling people what was going to happen. Early in John, Jesus cleanses the animals. He, he takes the animals and he, and he chases them out of the temple. Now, the animals were supposed to be there. The animals were there to make the Passover sacrifice, but Jesus chased them out. And when he did, the religious leaders came to him and said, why? And Jesus answers very cryptically, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Now, history tells us that Herod's temple, a massive building, It was a quarter of the city of Jerusalem. Now think about that. A quarter of the city of Indianapolis, one single building, or one complex of buildings dedicated to worship. 48 years in the making. The religious leaders said, uh, we've been building this temple for 47 years, so it was almost done. It was a year away from being done. We've been building this temple for 47 years, and you say you're going to raise it in three days? Well, Jesus was actually talking about something different, and we know that now. But you know, later on in his ministry, Jesus got a lot clearer. In the middle of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Peter tells Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah, and immediately... Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed. And then after three days, rise again. 
Now, he said this not once, not twice, but three times. He told the crowds this what was going to happen. They're going to reject me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to kill me. But I won't stay in the grave. Three days later, I'll come back to life. Three days later, I'll rise again. Now, this teaching was so common that after Jesus' death, even his enemies, even the religious leaders knew about it. Matthew tells us the next day, the day after Preparation Day. Preparation Day was Friday. That was when Jesus was crucified. So on Saturday, the Pharisees went to Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. So, sir, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. And Pilate did, and so they went to the tomb, and they, they put a cord across the stone and then a wax seal over the cord against the stone. It was a seal that bore Caesar's insignia. Anybody who would break that seal would die. Unless, of course, you were an angel. <laughs> then there's not a whole lot they can do about it. But they knew. They knew. They were turning the crank. <laughs> and they knew it was coming. Well, the book of Luke says that on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, when they came uh, back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. The women had gone to the tomb. And when they got there, they saw the stone rolled away from the entrance. And so they took off running. They've opened the tomb. They broke the seal. But the 11 didn't believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense to them. And they turned the crank just a little bit farther. It's just a little bit closer. The uh, book of Luke does go on. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, Peter ran to the tomb and we know that the tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. He had recently had this tomb made for his family. They would have literally, with, with hammer and chisel, carved out of the side of a mountain, a tomb. Not a big tomb. It wasn't cavernous. I mean, you wouldn't go inside and, and uh, be able to stand up. In fact, the entrance was low. The entrance would have been two to three feet high. So you had to bend over, just like the scripture says. 
to look inside. If you would go inside, you wouldn't be able to stand up. Inside, they carved out a hole that would be about four feet high. You'd be able to stand up, but you'd be hunched over, hitting the back of your head on the top. You would have the body, and you would place the body on a little raised platform where the body would lie until it decomposed and the next family member died. Then you take the body from the raised platform. You take the bones and you put them in a small hole in the back of the cave. You are buried with the bones of your ancestor and the new body was lying there. This is a brand new tomb. So Jesus had it all to himself. They took him into the tomb and they laid the body there. Now Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body. The book of Matthew tells that Nicodemus went with Joseph of Arimathea carrying 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Now what they would do when they buried the body, they would clothe the body in normal street clothes, just what they would normally wear. And then they would start with the hands and they would wrap the hands in linen cloth and that ointment mixture of myrrh and aloes. The aloes is sticky. That sticks the linen cloth to the hand. The myrrh is pungent so that the smell of the decaying corpse doesn't overwhelm you. So they would wrap this myrrh and aloes all the way up the arm, both arms, then they'd fold the arms across the chest. And then they would start at the neck and work their way down and wrap those same strips of cloth all the way down the body. Lay you on that raised platform. And that was your burial. Now, the book of John goes into a great deal more detail. Early on the first day of the week, first day of the week, Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, either to mourn, to cry, or possibly to continue to prepare Jesus' body, put more perfume, more ointment, on the body. She went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now apparently she didn't go in. She turned and she came running to Simon Peter and another disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord and we don't know where. They've put him. Mary Magdalene comes. She sees the stone rolled away. She assumes the worst, that they've stolen the body. They're doing unthinkable horrors now. It wasn't enough to just crucify him. Now they are desecrating the body. So she goes to tell the disciples, we don't know where he is. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple was younger, and he outran Peter. He reached the tomb first, and he knelt down, and he looked, 
in at the strips of cloth, the strips of linen that were lying there. But he didn't go in. He got there, got down, and he saw that the linen was still in there. And he said to himself, oh, he's still there. The body is still there. But then Simon Peter came in behind him. And instead of stopping to look, Simon Peter just goes straight inside the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. You remember I told you they started at the neck and worked their way down. That left the head clear. They would take a napkin-sized piece of linen and they would lay that over the head. Simon Peter went inside and that cloth had been neatly folded and laid aside so that when Simon Peter got in there, he could see there's no head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Then the other disciple saw what Peter was doing. So he also went inside and he saw and believed. Now, what in the world's going on with this linen? We don't know exactly, but it sounds like, it looks like something like this took place. They covered Jesus' body in these linen strips of cloth with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. But apparently, at a certain point in time, Jesus, having been crucified, being dead, said, well, that's enough of this. I think I'll get up now. And he got up from the linen and stepped aside. He left the linen where it was. Now, if you remember later on in the day, the 11 disciples were gathered together in a room, windows down, doors locked, and all of a sudden, Jesus just appeared to them. Apparently, physical walls were no longer a barrier to Jesus. He just kind of stepped through. And apparently, grave clothes, 75 pounds of cloth, myrrh, and aloes, was no barrier to him. When the time was right, he just kind of sat up and moved aside. Turned around, looked, saw that the face cloth was still there, so he said, no, that won't do. <laughs> Took it, folded it, laid it aside. Then the angels came and they rolled away the stone. But wait a minute. If Jesus walked through walls later on in the day, the angel didn't remove the stone so Jesus could get out. Walls were no barrier to him. They moved the stone so the disciples could get in because they wanted him to see what was lying there. 
Now, you know, in this passage, there are four times that the word see is used. But it's a little deceptive because there's actually three different words in Greek that's translated see. The first word, verse 1, Mary saw that the stone had been removed. And then the younger disciple ran, stooped down, looked inside, and he saw the linens lying there. That word for see is the most generic word for see that there is. All it means is that they perceived something. They noticed something. They just saw. They saw the stone rolled away. They saw the linens inside. Second time the word see is used is in verse 6. Peter ran inside and he saw the strips of linen lying there. But it's a different word. It's actually the word in Greek, theorizo. Now you know there's a lot of similarity between Greek and English. And the word theorizo, we have in English today. It's the word theory. Because this word doesn't just mean to perceive, to notice. This word means to examine. Peter inspected the strips of linen that were lying there. He saw that there was no head, so he kind of felt around, and then he did the unthinkable and stuck his arm inside this Jesus-shaped cocoon of linen that was there and found no body. Then in verse 8, the younger disciple came inside the tomb. He looked at what Peter was looking at, and he saw and believed. This word for see is different yet. This is the word, Alyssa, that, that you might use at Indiana State when the professor is explaining something difficult and you get it and you say, I see, or not. <laughs> what you're saying is, I get it. I grasp it. I understand it. The younger disciple came in and he said, I see. And he turned the crank just a little bit farther and the little clown pops out of the box. <laughs> and he said, Oh, I get it now. That's what he was talking about. When he said, I will rise in three days, I thought it was a metaphor. I thought it was a parable. He likes to use parables. It wasn't. It was for real. He meant he was going to overcome death and rise again. Now, you know, the whole purpose of the resurrection is to prove the validity of Jesus' works and his words. Jesus said a lot.
very, very unusual things. Hard things to understand. Hard things to believe. One of the things that he said was, I will rise from the dead. When he did that, the disciples said, gee whiz, I guess I can trust him in the other things that he said too. That's the purpose of the resurrection, that we grasp it, that we understand not only what he said about his resurrection, but everything that he said what he said about life, what he said about loving our neighbors, what he said about following the law, what he said about salvation. All of it was true. Over the past three weeks, we've been looking at different ways of viewing the cross. We've seen that we come to the cross with sin. And many of us, the thing that governs our world is a sense of right and wrong. We come to the cross and say, Jesus, we have done wrong. We have sinned. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. He says, if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul says that Jesus takes our sin on himself on the cross and that sin is nailed to the cross. But then Jesus rose from the dead and Paul goes on. He says in the very same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what happens with our sin. It is buried. It died with Jesus. It was buried with Jesus. And when he rose from the grave, he left it behind. That's what happened to your sin. That's what happened to my sin. Jesus buried it so we could be free from it. But not just that. We also talked about what the cross does for our shame. What the cross does for our weakness. Paul talks about that too. In 1 Corinthians, he says, so it'll be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is sown in dishonor. But it's raised in glory, in honor. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. You see, the resurrection completes the work that Jesus began on the cross. Our sin, our fear, 
our shame. Jesus took them all on the cross. He took them with himself to the grave. But when he rose from the grave, he left them there. You see, Jesus rose from the dead so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Jesus rose from the dead so that we would no longer be demoralized by shame. Jesus rose from the dead so that we would no longer be bound by weakness. Instead, he rose from the dead so we could be alive. The early church understood this. And they formed a tradition. On Easter morning, when they would come together, the leader of the assembly would look at the assembly and say, he is risen. And the assembly would respond, he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Three times they would repeat that. For centuries, the church has been doing this because the sign of our Lord is truly not the cross but the empty tomb. He rose again so that you and I could be alive. What we're saying this morning is that to be Jesus in every corner of our culture, see and believe. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.